This episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast is being brought to you by Loot Crate. With Loot Crate, you get collectibles, apparels, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises delivered right to your door every month. I'm talking about t-shirts in every crate, figures, comics, stuff for your kitchen, a wide range of exclusive items that you can't get anywhere else from fan-favorite franchises like Harry Potter, Marvel Comics, Fallout 4, Star Wars, and so much more. You can get it all for less than $20 a month. Loot Crate comes to your door and let you geek out. And of course, at Major Spoilers, we're all about geeking out. From bad guys doing good things for the wrong reason to good guys with questionable tactics, August is the perfect time to explore the anti-hero. Walk the hero-villain line with this 100% exclusive collection of items from DC Comics, Archer, Dark Horse, and Kill Bill that includes two great collectibles, a wearable, and of course, the monthly t-shirt. There's also a very cool pin you're going to want to get. But you have to act fast. You're going to get these items you have until 9 o'clock p.m. on the 19th of the month to subscribe. And this is Pacific time. 19th, 9 o'clock Pacific to subscribe to receive this month's crate. And then uh, if you miss that and the cutoff happens, it's over. You're out. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have a deal for you. Make sure you head to lootcrate.com spoilers. Enter the code spoilers and save $3 off any new subscription. That's lootcrate.com spoilers. Enter the code spoilers. Save $3 off any new subscription. Thank you, Loot Crate, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the fans have spoken, so we'll be looking at Earth-X, the comic that started as a Wizard Magazine pitch and ended as, well, hang around, we'll let you know about that. We got the 411 on Luke Cage, the lowdown on The Flash, the scoop on Bounty, and the skinny on Adam and Gill's trivia game, plus our usual mix of insight, outrage, understanding, and overpronunciation, and the kick-butt major spoilers poll of the week. Don't you wish your podcast was hot like this? It doesn't matter, because we're here to share the loves, because the Major Spoilers Podcast brings the boys to the yard, and it's on the air. Welcome to issue 689 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. Thank you, everyone, for using that Amazon link over at Major Spoilers. Every time you make a purchase there, a little bit comes back our way and allows us to uh, keep doing the show week after week after week. After week. Everybody's here, including Ashley, who's back. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Did you survive? Did you survive San Diego Comic Con? Not really. <laughs> what was what was but the most I'm, I'm what was better. the most uh, intense thing that you did at, at Comic Con? The most intense thing? I don't know. Standing up for thirteen hours, probably. Mm, yeah, God. you hosted you hosted a lot um, of panels. You uh, were there with uh, Top Cow. Did some things with them. I did. Um, I got to host the DC Superhero Girls uh, cosplay meetup in the DC booth, which was really cool because I love the DC Superhero Girls. So yeah. if people want me to talk about them professionally and hang out with uh, adorable little children dressed up like them, I really can't say no to that. Uh, so that was definitely uh, a highlight of my SDCC 2016, which I hashtag. What was the uh, worst thing about uh, San Diego this year? Um, I had a lot of people come up to me and I'm sure one of them is listening um, and I don't mean to make anyone feel bad, but um, I had a lot of people come up to me and be like, hey, I really love you on, you know, whatever thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, thank you so much. It's so nice, whatever. And they're like, yeah, what's your name? <laughs> That's like, sure. you clearly don't love me that much, dude. Um, 
you know, <laughs> and that that for me was became quite rude after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. because because Google's a thing. So if you love me from a thing, why not Google that comma girl? You'll you know you'll probably or cast. You'll probably figure it out. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like the experience of the convention itself. Like, yeah, you you do stand for like thirteen hours, but you're a nerd at Comic Con. Uh, which is kind of like Valhalla, you know? So you, you sh- I shouldn't complain that much. <laughs> I cool. just Googled cursing Canadian girl, and you're like the third person on the list. It's awesome. Only third? Oh. Yeah, apparently SEO, moves from, uh, you can't get that on television. You got to get Bummer. your SEO uh, fixed there, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Work on your tag. Let us get to <laughs> some news. This week we can news. talk about... Uh, Luke Cage, uh, the new Luke Cage trailer that arrived today. The uh, Powers television series gets canceled or fans petition to shut down Rotten Tomatoes. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where we land. Number one. Lands on number one. The Luke Cage trailer <laughs> arrived today. This is not the, uh, the the sizzle reel that they showed at the San Diego Comic-Con, but it is the first television spot for the upcoming Netflix series coming in just over a month, September 30th, uh, 2016. What do you guys think of this? Rodrigo, why don't we start with you? I thought it looked good. Um, you know, they uh, made it a point to kind of, uh, they're like, hey, by the way, remember, uh, Rosario Dawson's going to be in this. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much she's going to be in it, but she'll be in it. Um, she's like, it, the it looks interesting. Right? It's, yeah, it's kind of this, like, uh, yeah, yeah, she's like the. The, the 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 only constant in uh the lower neighborhoods of New York is that uh Nightners is hanging around. <laughs> um so yeah, it, it it was it was interesting. It was kinda you know, some action, some like uh wise characters giving advice to uh the main character, which is interesting because you don't have a like um like a a young hot like pow pow i'm gonna get the bad guys type character you have a character who's like i want to be left alone and the wise character is like eh, you gotta get in there yeah yeah i thought it looked good I, oddly and this is the weird thing for me because of the color schemes that they're using throughout and the fact that it's staying a little dark it feels like a 70s movie for some reason and the only thing that's like missing is a barry white soundtrack and i i, I don't know it just it looks good it going to be awesome i think but uh it feels like they're dipping back into 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 the 70s movie genre which is totally cool for this kind of a film because that's where luke cage mm-hmm. com- comes from uh ashley what, what are your thoughts on this movie or the trailer sorry uh, uh i thought it looked really really awesome like i'm totally there for it it's the thing i'm probably most excited for in the next wave of like well probably all marvel if i'm gonna be completely honest but definitely mm. uh the marvel uh netflix universe and i like the idea that we finally have a reticent character because we had that a little bit with bruce banner and they like sort of try to pull it off with a hawkeye but he always winds up doing that clint barton half smirk thing and coming back anyway right right um you know so i like the idea that this is very much um going to be a classic or not a classic superhero um excuse me and uh as a white person I really like the idea that we're going to see, at least from the trailer, it looks like they're very much um, celebrating um, African-American culture, Mm -hmm. um, Harlem culture and entertainment like tropes and styles from around that time. It gives it a really distinct look. And that's the thing that I think um, the Netflix shows do very well is that they can live in their own style and their own aesthetic um, 
without being to the detriment of anything else. I'm super jazzed, and so, the tiara and the cuffs were yeah, everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. So are you are you a are you a fan then of keeping? Because this was something that was discussed at, at Comic Con and some other places after Comic Con. Are you okay then with um, Marvel Studios keeping the Netflix universe and the cinematic universe separate from one another? Or would you like um, to see Luke I'm, Cage appear in the next uh, Avengers movie? Personally, I'm really not. I actually think that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., even though it is not a Netflix show, is the thing that killed um, any potential crossover or meaningful crossover. Um, there are certain characters from the Netflix show that I really think um, do deserve to crossover, and there are certain characters that I think are better served. Like I think Jessica Jones is much better served in her corner of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be a real shame if we don't get to see Tom Holland and Charlie Cox uh, play out a scene together where Daredevil has no time for Spider-Man's guff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I I think that they're they both touch on that that classic kind of character and those character interactions. Um, and that is is a, a relationship that I really like. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I have mixed feelings about it. <laughs> yeah. Matthew, what are your thoughts on the uh, trailer? This is what I've been waiting for Marvel Netflix. Um, this is the thing that I have wanted to see because this is the first superhero story. Uh, because when you really break it down, this is the first time we have a character who flat out has superpowers. Jessica Jones toyed with that idea and they gave us bits and pieces of, you know, they, they hinted at her strength. They hinted at her flight. This is Luke Cage. And the thing about Luke Cage is Luke Cage gets shot at. Luke Cage has things bouncing off him all the time. Luke Cage looks mildly annoyed when you hit him with a car. That's, that's the Luke Cage experience. I agree with Ashley. The The three things that are perfect here are the tiara, mm. the fact that the origin actually visually resembles the origin from Hero for Hire number one in 1972, and the fact that they're actually treating the character as narratively important. Luke Cage is Marvel's first black headlining character. I mean, the Black Panther came first, but Luke had his own title in 1972, Historically speaking, I feel like that means something. And I really like what they've done with this show. And of all the Netflix stuff, it's the stuff that's closest so far to my aesthetic. Because I found Daredevil to be just a little too Frank Millery. Mm. And I loved parts of Jessica Jones, but chunks of it, I was just like, my God, this is so, ugh, this is mean spirited and brutal and skeevy and they've ruined the 10th doctor (laughs) (laughs) but you know i'll i'll get over that i feel like that moment where he turns to the people and pulls down his hood and it looks like he's about to tell them fine my name is luke i like that i like the fact that you know i miss power man but to be honest power man is kind of a crap name and Mm -hmm. i can i can live without him being Power Man. Power Girl, however, excellent name. Yeah, yeah. Power Girl is different. <laughs> Power Man is super generic. Power Girl is something yeah. that, you know, it, it feels it has like maybe it feels like maybe you need like a large number after it, like 5000. Right. Power Man that would 5, be good 000. if he were Power Man 5000. <laughs> that would be totally actionable in in uh, trademark court. But yeah, this this is the one that I've been wanting to see and, you know, even if that's the only thing we get of him wearing the tiara and the big cuffs. Yeah. The fact that they put that in there and said, okay, you guys, we know this happened. We're not, we're not forgetting this. This is here for you. Three people who want Luke back in the silk shirt with the chain belt. 
it's not happening, but here's your little your little thing and 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 walk away, Matthew. That's that's what they're saying to me. It, with it that. seems I'm like the it. it seems like the Netflix series as each season comes out, they just the shows get better and better and better. And I'm hoping that Luke Cage is that same way, where it tops what what was the last one? Uh, Daredevil season two. Jessica Jones. Oh, Jessica. Oh, yeah. Jessica was last, wasn't it? No, I think it's Daredevil I season Daredevil. two. Yeah, yeah Daredevil, Daredevil season, season two. two. And so I'm hoping that this uh, gets even better. And of course, at Comic Con, we got a big teaser for when all of these heroes come to together to defend New York uh, from the hand, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm yep. really looking forward. I mean, we the nice thing about Luke Cage is we got to see a lot of his character development in the Jessica Jones series, and now we get to explore a lot of that in the Luke Cage series. And uh, yep. what are we getting? Iron Fist next, and then it will be Defenders. Yes. I think is is the release order. So I just cannot wait to see what they do with the hand. And I'm hoping that they continue to maybe play that up little bits and pieces, um, maybe in this season, uh, and in iron fist as well, because they hinted at a lot of really creepy things going on in daredevil season two. And if in order for the defenders to work in order for all of them to work together, there needs to be that underlying hint in these, uh, in these next couple of series. Yeah, because nothing says street level realism like magic ninjas. Yeah, man. But magic if you ninjas. do, if you do for Danny Rand what Jessica Jones did for Luke Cage, and this is our introduction, our our uh, to take a geek history lesson phrase, our history one hundred and one yeah. of who this character is. That's the way that you tie in the magicy magicy hand stuff mm-hmm. to your largely street sure. level yeah. Luke Cagey type storytelling. Sure. Yeah. And you know, I'm not complaining. I've I've wanted more psycho not realism in in these shows, and you know, it's something else that I didn't think about until just now. They have the gem theater, which is where Luke lives. Mm-hmm. There's clearly fight scenes in the theater. And right there, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I, 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 I want to see that. I don't care if they're fighting ninjas. I don't care if they're fighting I don't know, guys in Batman suits. Whatever well, it is you got to do. And really, it's smart because, you know, sometimes I see this stuff that uh, comes out of, like, le- even Legends of Tomorrow, you know. And I'm like, that still looks like TV special effects. Mm-hmm. But the the level at which they're keeping it is is still good. It's solid for these like Netflix series. It's like just superhero enough to like push it into that genre, but still low enough that it keeps a handle on the budget. Yeah. And yeah. Ashley, I couldn't see how many guys he was fighting in the hallway. So uh Ashley, do you know what the budget is uh for each episode of these Netflix shows? Fighting I don't, teams. but I bet okay. in the next 10 minutes I can Google it. For you. Oh. No, but I do know of all the CW shows. <laughs> right. Well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, well, then I wonder who has a bigger budget. Is it Netflix with their Marvel series? Is it the CW with um, their Flash and Arrow series? We'll see what they do with oh, uh, no, Supergirl. It's definitely, it is definitely CW, even though CW is not a network show. They, oh, they, yeah. And, Netflix is like notoriously low. Oh, is it? Okay. And even compared to what about the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and um, Agent Carter? Uh, Agent Carter had 70,000 per episode. Agent Carter had less money per episode than Doctor Who, if you need a reference. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know is over a million. There, it's quite it's quite an expansive undertaking. Well, right. well, and 80% of that is animating Brett Dalton's face. What about... I mean, you gotta... If the guy needs help, what do you want? <laughs> so what do you think that that compares then to, to the Netflix series? Do you think that they're paying less than 700,000 an episode, or are they paying oh, no, um, more than that? So... 
according to the internet, uh, uh-huh. Daredevil gets four million dollars per episode. Wow! So it, um, yeah, okay. Wow, I'm I'm actually super surprised by that. Uh, some of that might be funneled in from the Disney machine of it all, um, because mm. it is a partnership. It's not just a straight up Netflix show, right? Um, and although I can't find anything for Jessica Jones, Daredevil is purportedly their most expensive show to date. I can see that with a lot mm-hmm. of the action sequences that they had, and if you're looking at all the explosion stuff from this trailer, now granted, it's probably going to be explosions are going to be uh, poured out over twelve different episodes where. One will be super oh, effects heavy. Yeah, yeah. One will be super effects heavy, and one will be just Luke Cage sitting in a in a room talking to another guy for an entire episode. Um, I I I would imagine that it's <laughs> probably that around the same explosion? budget. Yeah, they're going to replay the same explosion again and again and again and again. It's going to reminisce about it. Excellent. Yep. The any second other, episode will be the bottle show. Any other uh, thoughts on the Luke Cage trailer? Um, can it get here sooner, please? September 30th is really not that far off. I mean, we are literally, um, almost halfway through the month by the end of this week, we'll be halfway through the month. So you've got a month and a half to wait. Uh, and then the question is, are you going to watch this all at once in one giant binge weekend, or are you going to spread it out? And how will you spread it out, Rodrigo? I'll probably watch it over, I'm going to guess, two or three days. That's that's what it's been with most of the other shows. I would sit down and watch the whole thing, but uh, then I get like, then I forget to eat and stuff. So <laughs> I have to like set a timer. Yeah. Ashley, what about you? Um, I think I'm going to have to watch it in like three days, um, either for a podcast or a review show or something. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because I follow a lot of people on Twitter who don't, seem oh, to yeah. respect Spoilerific. yeah um anyone anyone's you know watching streaming service experience other than their own so uh yeah i'll probably watch it in like two days okay matthew what about you uh september 30th i should be back in the regular uh, seasons for network stuff so i'll watch as much of it as i can i'm not a binger i mean the last thing that i actually binged was the first chunk of season four of the Mindy Project, and even that was five hours, and I'm like, that's too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too much. And I, I love Mindy, but God, five hours of Mindy. So it comes out on it the 30th, so that's a Friday, so I will be. I know I will be busy on that day, and it looks like I may be out of, well, no, I should be around on October 1st, so probably that evening I will watch two episodes uh, a night for probably a week, so I will I will spread them out over a week. And typically I, I reward myself with saying, okay, here's two hours. You're getting a movie's worth of, or two episodes, you're getting a movie's worth of, of a story. And then you're going to get that every night of the week. So I should be okay to get that done in, a, in about a week. I, I don't think I'll sit there and watch like I did with uh, Stranger Things and bust that out in like three days. But uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll stretch it out and make it as enjoyable as possible. And then once I'm done with that, I'll probably be so hyped up. I'll say, let's start the entire Netflix universe over again and start with Daredevil season one, then Jessica Jones, then season two, then Luke Cage. So, yeah, good times ahead. Listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and check out a bunch of news stories. And if you want to hear us talk about uh, the petition to shut down Rotten Tomatoes, make sure you head over to Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. Sign up and you will get access to that bonus content. Or if you're a Major Spoilers VIP, you will also get access to that bonus material right now. So go check it out. Uh, news is done. Let us get to some reviews. Reviews. Uh, Ashley, I am curious about your thoughts on Nightwing because I don't think we got to uh, hear your thoughts on the first issue that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't think we did. Nope. So uh, please share it away. Probably wasn't here. 
Um, so Nightwing is a character um, who's very near and dear to my heart. Dick Grayson, sexiest of all potential Robins. I'm always in for a new Nightwing series. Um, I will say with all love and respect that the new 52 uh, was not one of my more favorite Nightwing incarnations. Um, it was mostly the red costume. But I'm very excited. I was very excited when they announced that they were doing uh, this new Nightwing series with uh, Tim Seeley, who co-wrote with Tom King on Grayson and who wrote Revival and who I think is fabulous. Um, and the basic premise of Nightwing number two is um, carries over from the first issue where Batman is really in that sort of super dick Batman early 2000s phase where he's like, no, go out and be your own hero. And Nightwing's like, okay, I guess. Um, And so this whole arc is about better than Batman um, because he meets up with a dude named Raptor who the Parliament of Owls has assigned to be Nightwing's uh, bodyguard partner, uh, making sure that he's not actually just a good guy plant within their ranks, which of course he is. Um, That is where my issue with this issue lies. Um, I really like the Court of Owls when it was first introduced. And I like it less every time it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and this Nightwing series is very heavy on that mythology as you are dealing with, of course, the Parliament and the whole gray son of Gotham uh, thing. But <laughs> the thing that I especially like about this second issue is that all of the drama and all of Nightwing's internal struggle, well, they want to pretend that it's about the evil Cobra with a K organization that him and Raptor are fighting and their weird partnership because he has the same personality as Damien, but he doesn't love Dick the way that Damien loves Dick. Um, the real drama comes between Nightwing's relationship with Batgirl, um, which is great if you're Ashley. So um, <laughs> if you're reading the Batgirl series, uh, which is only one issue out, so if you're not... Um, Shame on you. Feel shame. Go read it. Um, Batgirl is currently traveling in Japan with another pseudo boyfriend, which kind of makes the plot of this issue a little funny. And uh, her and Dick are supposed to have a date. Um, He doesn't realize it's a date. So he shows up in costume and then it is mirrored by the end of the issue where they're supposed to have another date. Um, And uh, he doesn't show up at all. And they use his internal struggle and he knows that he's supposed to go and meet up with her and him trying to repair this part of his personal life in order to drive the more action-based superhero narrative. And this is something that I think that Tim Seeley does really, really well. It is a lot of what um, drives Revival. Revival is his zombie tale set in Wisconsin, which is coming to an end at uh, Image Comics. It's really great. Uh, It's the only zombie book that I read. And it is a lot of you introduce aspects of the character's personal lives And that's what drives all of the grossness. And I think that this is a perfect way to tell a Nightwing story because Dick Grayson, of all of the Bat family members, should be your most um, emotional character, should be your most like a normal person with uh, responsibilities and interpersonal relationships and feelings and stuff. And I really like that. And then the Javier Fernandez art is beautiful, um, as it should be with all of the requisite butt shots and a lot of the really cool action sequences where there's multiple Nightwings in the panel in order to see where he's done his cool acrobatic nonsense that um, is basically physically impossible and during this time of the Olympics, also oddly appropriate. So uh, so for me, this Nightwing number two has everything that I really want in a Nightwing series and um, a lot of just these little subtle things that I feel like was missing in the new 52. I'm really excited to see where it goes going forward. It looks beautiful. 
Um, but for the Parliament of Owls, I'm going to give it uh, a four out of five of the meatloaf slices. Excellent. And of course, Raptor has those really short arms, so it makes it really hard to fight. Ah! Yeah. Oh, man. I would. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but he can open doorknobs with his teeth. Color. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rodrigo, you got a trivia game for us this week. Yeah. No, it's a comic. It's oh, just is it? called. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, Adam and Gil's trivia game from uh, Super Indie, Super Indie Book. Um, so this is a, uh, I think it comes from Scotland and it is two, uh, people who regularly do these kind of like, uh, joke, uh, books kind of coming together and, and doing basically kind of like a back and forth on, on these stories, um, so it's kind of like either one page or two page stories. Uh, some of them are a little bit longer. There's one that like kind of splits in the middle and then there's more uh, stories and then picks up again. Uh, that's the Baroctopus one. What? Uh, I want to read that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting because a lot of the, the humor in it is like very absurd to the point where like, Sometimes I read it and I'm like, this isn't funny. And then like later when I think about it, it becomes funny. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like here real quick is, is a story that, uh, that I didn't find funny at first, but now I weirdly find funny. It's about a dog named Barkus. Uh, Barkus uh, gets asked to fly a plane, but he doesn't know how. And then at the last minute, he makes the decision to let his co-pilot fly the plane who is fully qualified. Hooray, Barkus saves the day. He is a hero. <laughs> what? Yeah, that is a story. And I'm like, what did I just read? And then like later on, I was thinking about it. And I'm like, that's actually like, it's almost like telling the story <laughs> is actually funnier than the actual story. And I'm like, are these guys just operating at such a deep level of absurdity that it's like it implants itself in my brain and doesn't germinate until later? Seems like uh, a Norm MacDonald joke you know i mean it is it, it, it is just like kind of these like a lot of them are just these like weird non sequiturs there's a couple of like just very visual gags um there's somewhere i'm like i de i just simply do not know where this is going there's one about pringles um and it's just like the it's all about the pringles logo and it's just kind of like a weird history lesson and i think they're going for something but it's not like very well expressed by the art it's just like all over the place, which is maybe what you want out of like one or two page jokes, right? It's like anything that doesn't land, you just flip the page and you're there. You're to the next one. Um, yeah, there's like a lot of like weird sort of like non-jokes. Um, there's one where like some bears are on a swing set, but like one of them's like a sausage bear and then the other one's a robot bear. It's just like there's one where like there are two jokes in which the punchline is somebody calling 911, well, 999, which is the, the European one, I guess. Um, and it's like, it's just like a cutaway to somebody, like two panels of somebody calling 999. And it's like, at first I didn't get it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. And then I'm like, wait, no, that's not funny. I'm just like so torn by this whole thing. Um, it's just, uh, I was not expecting to have such a. Uh, such 
feelings about uh, a book full of uh, little jokes. 28 pages full of nonsense. Uh, not necessarily in a bad way. I'm giving it uh, two slices of meatloaf because uh, I think the the ratio of actually funny stuff to not funny stuff is low. But who knows? Ask me again in like two weeks and I might be like, that book was 100% hilarious because <laughs> it seems to have kind of a delayed impact on me. Uh, if you want something weird, I, I do... I, I, I would recommend if you just like maybe if you're like a milk and cheese kind of guy, mm, maybe yeah. maybe pick up Adam and Gill's trivia game. That's probably uh, may, if not the humor, then definitely the format. That's that's uh, that's definitely what I would recommend. Excellent. All right. Well, Adam, Gil, thank you for that. Kind of guy. Adam and Gill's yep. trivia game out now. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for us this week? I got a comic from the Dark Horse. And I'm pretty sure it was out last week. Okay. Bounty number two from the Dark Horse. Uh, apparently not about paper towels as I expected. Written by Curtis Weeby, art by Mindy Lee. And let me say one thing and one thing only. There are times when you read a book and you're like, man, the art and or story is much, much better than the story and our art that it is accompanying. And mm-hmm. this is one of those books. Um I came into this trying very hard not to be mad at it. And the reason that I might be mad at it is because there's a little part of my brain that is still basically an 18-year-old fanboy jerk. And I'm looking at this and going, well, this is the book that's now coming out from the people that used to write The Rat Queens, which I really, really enjoyed. I liked The Rat Queens. So I can't be mad at this book for not being Rat Queens, which I think, you know, that it's something you often have to fight when you're aware of the creators on a book. You look at something and you're like, man, this is not, you know, John Byrne in 1985. So I went into this. It's the story of two bounty hunters in space and sort of in the future. And it has an interesting vibe to it throughout the issue. They're trying to hunt down a mysterious uh, bounty guy. And of course, one of them gets captured by an evil street gang that it turns out may possibly be more important to her history than it seems. And they actually have to make a deal with the guy that they're hunting in order to get back their sister slash bounty hunter. And the art is just gorgeous. I mean, this is one of those kind of future Blade Runner settings where you have the the dirty world, but you have little bits of neon around to remind you that it is the future. And sometimes people wear visors and that happens. And there's a lot of, 3D effects, and there's a lot of kind of future, I don't want to say cyberpunk, because that's such a cliche, but, you know, that that Mad Max type of uh, clothing, the, the whole feeling is just very much a, here's a world where we totally loved Blade Runner, you guys, and we're going to do something fun within this world. So, from a visual standpoint, this book is really, really amazing. I'm not as thrilled with the story, I had to go back. I read issue one and then I read issue two together. And I'm still having some issues with grabbing a hold of who the characters really are, who is and isn't a central character. This issue has a lot of people kind of circling around the nucleus. And the main character, or the character that I perceive as being the main character, makes a decision at the end of the book where I'm just totally like, Wow, that was a real D-bag move. I'm not sure I'm I'm on board with all of this. Uh, also, there's a character who has a big screen that shows emojis for a face. 
and I call him emoji face. And it's one of those moments where you can't decide at first whether it's genius or cheese sandwich. Cause the first time I saw it, I was like, that's the stupidest thing ever. And then he walks away from a guy and he has this eye rolling laugh emoji. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. And then he comes back and he's walking in a ship and he's got just a great big old school, happy face. We have answers. I'm like, yeah, okay. It, 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 I'm sad to say that it grew on me, but then so did that ward on my foot. So all in all, this is an interesting book. It's a solidly entertaining read. And I do want more from this world. I, kind of wish that the story and the art were on the same level but i have that argument a lot of the time sometimes you get to a point where things aren't just quite there yet and i think by issue six this book is either going to be utterly amazing or it's just going to kind of roll off my radar and i'm going to go okay not for me but three slices of meatloaf for bounty number two from dark horse comics it's intriguing, and that word has terrible connotations, and I know that it has terrible connotations, but, you know, it is what it is, and that's what it is, and cliche time is now over. All right, thank you, Matthew. Uh, out this week from DC Comics is The Flash number 4. This continues on the Lightning Strikes Twice story, where now there are lots of speedsters running around uh, Central City, and uh, The Flash slash Barry Allen is training them all, but... There's got to be a big bad somebody behind all of this. And they uh, discover in this issue that uh, Black, or what is his name, Godspeed, is the one who can rip the speed force from you. One of the interesting things that have happened is as speedsters run next to each other, the speed force between them starts to, like, solidify. And you can actually rip the speed force away from one person uh, and keep it for yourself. So they get this impression that this uh, character Godspeed is, is going to uh, be the big bad, but first they have to take down this other guy, the, uh, the black hole uh, group who is trying to weaponize the speed force. And so we get to see some more uh, flash speedsters uh, running around. We get to see some uh, development of Barry and uh, I forget who the woman is that is uh, kind of in charge of the star labs portion of uh, helping to train the speedsters, but they get to share a kiss and some other cool things happen. Um, it's an interesting story. I want to see how this goes. I hope that the end result is not basically doing um, a zoom storyline where there's a speedster running around stealing other speedsters speed force to make himself more powerful, but it kind of sounds like that's where they're going. The art by Neil uh, Gouge, I think is how you say the person's name. G O O G E uh, is just fantastic. I really like the art uh, story was a little bouncy in places and, um, and, and really not to my overall liking, but still overall a nice middle story uh, fourth part and probably a six part arc. Uh, nice, nice bit there. I'm giving this three slices of meatloaf out of five. Flash number four out this week from DC Comics. If you want to check out more reviews, of course, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. That's where all of the reviews are. And um, man, there's a lot of good stuff at Major Spoilers, including previews mm-hmm. of uh, upcoming issues that are coming out. And of course, the Major Spoilers poll of the week. <laughs> We may have done this poll before, but I thought it'd be interesting to uh, to go back and revisit it. Uh, we are we, we are pitting Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, Ted Cord, Michael John Carter. They are in a ring. They must fight to the death. Who wins in a fight between them? Ashley, go. <laughs> I believe Ashley's Carter. AFK right now. Okay, Rodrigo, go. 
Uh, well, first off, I got to say, when I saw the uh, poll of the week was blue versus gold, right? Um, I was a little disappointed to click on it and find out that it wasn't as to which team of 90s X-Men would win in a fight. <laughs> totally X-Men gold. blue or X-Men gold. Either gold. the Storm-led one or the Cyclops-led one. In any case, um, I think, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to attitude. Um, and you just have to expect that a, uh, a mistake is going to be made somewhere along the way. Um, and, and then, uh, it's really just going to go down to, it's going to give it to the blue beetle, right? Um, booster's a little, uh, little full of himself, little, uh, especially with someone he knows and someone he knows that who doesn't have any like intrinsic powers or something like that. Um, it, it really seems like uh, he's just one ego-based mistake away from uh, just handing the whole thing to uh, Ted. Okay, cool. I went with Blue Beetle winning this fight, but not for the reasons that you think. He wins mm. the fight because Booster Gold loves his best friend so much that he would lose the fight so that Blue Beetle would win. He seems to be that kind of guy that would in the end, know that no matter what, my friend is better than that. And so um, he would let Blue Beetle win. Matthew, where do you sit? Well, I think what it really breaks down to for me is you can't argue who's more powerful because, A, you're dealing with two superheroes. And within the narrative, superhero power levels are really meaningless and B, Booster is much more powerful than Blue Beetle. I think what it really comes down to for me then is the conceptualization of the character. And the reason why I believe that my character wins is the exact opposite or maybe the inverse of what you said with a little bit of what Rodrigo said. I believe that Booster Gold will win this fight. And the reason why is that Michael John Carter is a jerk. He is a jerk at his, at his core and he has to fight to overcome being a jerk. His whole origin is about, I screwed up in the future, I got too cocky, I had to come back in time, all these terrible things happened because of me, and then in the 52, I have to go and make people think I'm a jerk while I'm actually doing secret things so no one will know I'm doing secret things in the time stream. What's better than Booster Gold winning a fight because Blue Beetle thought that Booster wasn't going to you know, put go full out on him and instead, Blue Beetle ends up, you know, with a bloody nose, and then you get two issues of them just, you know, unhappy with each other, and Beetle's finally like, dude, you shot me. You shot me in the face with your laser gloves. What's wrong with you? So I think that Booster Gold would win because dramatically it makes for a better aftermath because we know that they're going to make up. No matter who wins this, they're going to hug, and they're going to make up, and they're going to maybe go have some drinks on Cooey Cooey Cooey. All right. Ashley, who would win in this fight between Blue Beetle and Booster Gold? I think that you definitely have to give it to Booster because even in the incarnation where he is pretending to be a jerk because of reasons, um, he wants to win and he wants to be famous. Um, I do think given the circumstances of Ted's death at the hands of Maxwell Lord that um, he would have enough class to not shoot him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thanks, Matthew. Personally, 
It's not too soon. And you know what? It's that that overtone soon. is exactly Booster. Have you read the original Booster series? It's full of that stuff. He's like uh, a walking awkward moment. But yeah, especially if it's like chubby Ted Cord, which is my preferred Ted Cord. Yeah. Uh, Booster is going to Booster is going to kick his butt for sure. All right, listeners, Sometimes it is up to I you. In comics in the 90s. Head over to Majorspoilers.com and cast your vote in the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Matthew, how does it stand right now? <laughs> right now, it's practically deadlocked. One vote difference, I think, is holding this thing apart. 52% Blue Beetle, 48% Booster Gold, 60 votes in the bag. So this is literally anyone's fight. And by anyone, I mean Booster, because obviously Booster's going to win this, dude. We will see. I was surprised how the... How the Adam versus uh, Ant-Man fight turned out uh, with a lot more people going for it. No, Adam won. Oh. Adam got the most votes. I expected Ant-Man would win because of uh, having the more popular movie. Goes to show that Rotten Tomatoes doesn't mean anything. No. Uh, (laughs) Special thanks to TweakedAudio.com for... For sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So many different colors, so many different styles over there at Tweaked Audio. Put them in your ears. You're going to hear wonderfully. I've been, uh, this week I started on the audiobook version of It's Superman during my daily walks. And that is a fantastic listen slash read. Uh, I would suggest people do it. And as you're doing it, you can use your Tweaked Audio headphones to hear it in crystal clear audio. They've also got noise canceling design. So the dog that's barking at you, the car that's honking its horn at you, the screeching of the tires, you don't hear any of that. Because these things are compatible with iPods, iPhones, Android devices, all MP3 players. Best of all, when you use the checkout code MAJOR at tweakedaudio.com, you get 33% off your of your price. MAJOR is the code. Tweakedaudio.com is the site. Thank you, Tweaked Audio, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Do you hear the bone-crunching thud as the dog runs out and you get hit by the car? Or No, you hear the bone-crunching that- thud as, you, as, you, as the dog runs out and hits you. Uh, and knock you oh, back 50. The dog hits you. The, the dog right. is the one that's a problem. Uh, speaking right. wait, of, wait, 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 wait. Is the dog driving the car? Yes, he yes, is. The dog. Oh, okay. It's a dog <laughs> in a car. It's we're in a Richard Scary book, see. And then if you look right behind him, there's, there's a trash a, truck with Goldbug in it. No, there's a there's a <laughs> lowly a worm, worm has got a motorcycle. Driving, the how, worm is driving how an the apple hell car. Does a, a worm drive a motorcycle. <laughs> he doesn't have legs. He can't even balance. This is this world is madness. It's well, you gotta, madness. You got to look up at the web in the uh, barn, and it says some worm. All right, let us discuss. Yeah, yeah, but that that raccoon is clearly married to a duck, and they are just, I mean, he's a predator. They're happy together. That's all that matters. Let's speak about another group of people who are happy together. Earth X. You voted on this as the major spoilers trade paper pack of the week. Are you sure? No one. I'm pretty sure at least one person in this book is happy. Okay, Ben Grimm is happy. He's always happy. That dude is the highlight of this book. It is EarthX. It is from uh, Marvel Comics. It is the trade paperback that you voted on for us to uh, read. And uh, Rodrigo, why don't you give us a rundown of what this story is about? Oh, Lord. Uh, so EarthX is kind of this uh, somewhat, it's kind of like this dystopian look at the future, quote unquote, of the of the Marvel Universe. Um it is various stories uh which all kind of eventually run together all kind of all tied together by uh a morose machine man sitting on the moon watching it and having a conversation with Watsu the watcher um it kind of revolves around uh all of these like 
uh, new and also old school Marvel concepts like the Celestials and Galactus and then some new stuff uh, like uh, the appearance of the Skull um, being kind of uh, turning to be like the central antagonist with a face uh, to to the series. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on here. The Inhumans are in it. The X-Men are sort of in it. Uh, you get to find out what happened to a lot of people. Most of it's bad. Um, it's very sad. Uh, you have like people wearing weird costumes. Uh, Reed Richards dresses like Doctor Doom. Cats and dogs living together. You know. It, you know, whole, it's it's whole, funny that you say that. There's it, so everybody has superpowers now. Everybody on in the uh, on Earth has superpowers, and they all have different costumes and things. And things are weird. From just that, it sounds like you're talking about Kingdom Come, right? The end of the world is upon mm-hmm. us, and yeah, here yeah, are yeah. the things. And it's just like, wow. And, of course, it's uh, this is all based, Matthew, on a uh, Wizard magazine concept that uh, mm-hmm. they approached uh, Alex Ross to develop. In fact, uh, I believe that the pitch was, can you do Kingdom Come for Marvel? Yeah. Because what it really breaks down to is if you actually read the issue, and God help me, I did when it came out, uh, it's basically, hey, Alex, what's the most terrible things that could happen in the Marvel Universe? And literally everyone has something about them that has gone terribly wrong in the ensuing 20 years. So once that came out, apparently the sales were so good that Wizard was like, holy moly, what are we going to do? And Marvel's like, you know, we could actually do this. So based on the sales of an issue of Wizard Magazine with this little pitch in it, Marvel actually put the green light on this series, which this is the first of three. And I believe there the total is something like 975 issues of uh, Earth X, Universe X, Paradise X, Parking Garage X, uh, Backdoor X, uh, something about No, no, X no, Atlanta. not that last one. Okay. <laughs> but nonetheless, there's a lot... That, that basically rolled out of it like a five or ten page pitch for yeah. Yeah. how can the Marvel Universe suck too? I'm, I'm curious. Interestingly, Go ahead. like uh, as, a, as a again, just kind of a, an, uh, on the outside sense, there's also a cautionary tale because this series through Earth, uh, Universe and Paradise went so long and people got so tired of it that it never actually finished. Like Paradise X just kind of like disappeared. Trails like, off. Two thirds yeah. of the way through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things that you try not to capture lightning in a bottle, right? Because eventually it's just going to backfire on you. Um, but I have a question. What is it about dystopian futures that that makes it so popular? Um, if you look at in, in film since the night since film began, um, dystopian futures films just continue to increase. And in the last 10 years, uh, 15 years, um, maybe even a little bit before that, there's been a huge jump in stories set in a dystopian future. Ashley, do you have any insight on why dystopian Um, futures are so popular in storytelling? Well, I really dug dystopian storytelling when I was like at the height of my, I'm a very special teenager. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is definitely a, a demographic that it is popular with because you always want to believe that, yeah, you would be like, Katniss and you would survive the Hunger Games or like no you would not give in to uh, Big Brother you would you know you would defeat the double think police and all that um, you would escape I, the Thunderdome exactly right. I really think though um, 
it's kind of the same thing with like you know the 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 trend about aliens and vampires right mm-hmm. like depending on mm-hmm. how secure people feel they prefer alien or vampire stories mm-hmm. i think dystopian stories are popular when people need to think that for whatever reason um you know there's a worse reality yeah, the world's out okay there. right now yeah, yeah right. you know yeah. like oh yeah like trump is probably going to be president but at Ugh. least we're not going to be thrown in a giant arena and, and at least tony stark's iron avengers aren't going to do a purge every 15 minutes and maybe kill all of us like uh, it's not that bad you know what it's interesting There's- that you you mentioned that you like dystopian future uh, stories when you were younger when you had this hey i'm i'm really cool and kind of special because the um because one of the themes that you could or one of the messages you could take away from this is kind of a um incredibles ripoff of when everyone is special no one is right because yeah. everyone well, yeah, has yeah. superpowers and a lot of these heroes now have nothing to do ben Grimm can retire and go have kids with alicia and you know uh tony stark just goes away to go do tony stark stuff and you know it's <laughs> and just grow a beard and grow a beard and really long hair and look like that guy from <laughs> kingdom come um but it's right. just like it's really weird that that was one of the messages that I that I pulled out of this was like when everyone is special, no one is. Well, when it comes to comics, comics have historically, and I mean historically as in before 1993, had an expectation that good will always triumph because evil is dumb. But there's also something that really a movement that way predates even the formation of comic books. And that is the movement towards postmodernism. And postmodernism basically says that everything that they believed in the modern era, that there are grand beliefs and everything is great. And you can have this ideology of the world will be wonderful. You distrust that you you're skeptical of that. You want to deconstruct all of that highfalutin nonsense and kind of bring it all down into the dirt in a way to where you can say, look, this is, you know, there's no real objective greater good in the universe. It's all just shades of gray. And in the 1990s, comic books just exploded with that. This is literally the grandchild of all of that postmodernism and all of that 90s grim and grit just sort of stuck together with whatever that syrup is they use at the Waffle House. And it it's like, it's like Kingdom Come without the heart. It's mm-hmm. like Marvels without the this heart. is going to sound mean point. Mm-hmm. Uh, without the narrative, without any story to be told, other than well, this happened before, and this happened before, and here's all these cool ideas we had that happened before. And what are we going to do now, you guys? Oh, yeah, something about a torch. There's also, you know, there's this, uh, you mentioned inherent good or inherent evil, which also seems to be a very long discussion throughout this book in that um, we as humans have Mm -hmm. decided what is good and what is bad. And this gets, and there seems to be a lot of very religious implications uh, throughout this book about um, good and evil. uh, Did good beget evil? Did evil beget good? Um, is there even such a thing as, as, um, good and evil out there? And I found that discussion rather fascinating in points. Rodrigo, did you, did you get anything from that good versus evil discussion? Uh, yeah. Um, it, uh, it's interesting. It's kind of, uh, there's, there's a lot of like simultaneous narratives going on in this. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's kind of core to the Captain America narrative, but seems to kind of 
get really muddied as you radiate out from that since this kind of has like a very deterministic uh, mm-hmm. I- ideas as well. Basically, the universe is like on this track mm-hmm. um, according to this, which then when you get down to like the human drama of it uh, kind of sometimes weirdly runs counter to it. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, it's like uh, basically how sad can we make Captain America yeah. um, by by just kind of like twisting that whole that that question right is like are people fundamentally good or or fundamentally evil and what are you captain america going to do about it right especially when captain america who is supposed to be the one who stands for truth justice in the american way has to break the neck of the skull who just happens in this book to be a teenager so you got that going for you there's also the common man's son yeah there's also this uh there's also this other interesting thing that happens and this is where the story gets really convoluted and you may have to read it a couple of times uh, in that the Celestials, Matthew, who are? Mm-hmm. The Celestials are a race of giants from beyond space who occasionally come to Earth to weigh whether we're good or evil and destroy us as necessary. So apparently the Celestials have been going through the universe, planting seeds inside of planets. And this will birth a new Celestial at some point in the future. The seed kind of... I don't want to say corrupts, but it uh, affects it affects the entire planet and everything living on the planet. And the upshot of this is that the Celestials germination of the planet Earth is what has created superheroes and the superheroes, because it's in their DNA. Protect the planet, in essence, protecting the Celestial that is about to be born. Right. Which will at that point that the celestial right, and at that point the celestial, of course, will destroy the 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 planet and then move on. Um, right. On top of that, you have Uatu, who is the Watcher, who is tasked with observing all of this because the Watchers have decided they're never going to get involved with anything, so they're forced to watch this event happen again and again and again throughout the universe. There is one thing that can stop a celestial and and stop the embryo that is growing inside the planet, and that is Galactus, the destroyer of worlds, who comes and eats planets and destroys planets. So all the times that Galactus has come to Earth, he's not trying to wipe out humanity. He's not he's not on a hunger uh, run to to KFC. He's trying to destroy the celestial that's growing inside uh-huh. the planet. And it might have been to. funnier if he was though. I know, right? Yeah. Hey guys, I'm just here for the KFC. Oh, by the way, my mom's, <laughs> name is, my mom's name is Martha too. Um, then, then on top of that, uh, on no. top of that, no, just yeah, no. right. So on top of that, um, you have this idea that different events throughout history cause humans to evolve to gain these superpowers. So no matter what, no matter if this Terrigen Mist had got, gotten out there and started to evolve people, everyone would have evolved superpowers eventually. And eventually everyone on Earth, no matter what, because of the way this germination system works, everyone on Earth would have eventually gotten all the same equal powers, the ability to do everything and anything, just like we saw one of the Fantastic Four's greatest enemies, the scree, uh, the uh, cr- uh, which ones are they? The, the scroll. The scrolls. Yes. The scrolls. And in yes. that revelation that Uatu gives to uh, Reed Richards, he says, don't you understand it, Reed? When you were bombarded by the cosmic energies, 
you were jumped forward in the timeline of uh, the evolution of, of the superhero. You are essentially what the scroll have become. That's why you can shapeshift and do all of these other cool things, because essentially you are what the scroll are. We come to find out that the scroll planet was indeed a place where the Celestials had planted a seed. There's a lot of other stuff about the Kree scroll war uh, scattered throughout this. Uh, there is this thing where the Inhumans have found out this plot and have come back to Earth. They released the Terrigen Mist, blinded Uatu, so that they could carry out this plan to hopefully get humanity to come together to fight off the Celestials and solve the problem at the end. Inside all that is this notion that both Reed Richards, Tony Stark, even Captain America fight is this notion of free will. If we're supposed to be on this timeline, if we're supposed to be on this path to protecting the embryo and letting a celestial be born, we really don't have any control if there's something inside our DNA making us do this. And so with every fiber of their being, these heroes then are trying to fight that idea of this ultimate destiny. Uh, that's a long that's a long explanation to get to this idea of free will versus uh, predetermination. Sure. And we haven't even gotten to the whole, like, um, Peter Parker's daughter is Venom thing. <laughs> yeah. Or Reed Richards is forced to live in Castle Doom. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this book. There really Everybody is. you like is either dead or crippled or being tortured terribly. Or turned to stone. Oh. Yeah, like, like the first time Peter Parker, arguably the most famous character, shows up, he's like, oh, I'm not Spider-Man. And you're like, but I, I only show up because you're Spider-Man. Yeah, because yeah, he, well, like, he looks uh, like Uncle Bunker. Ben. I was going to say he looks like yeah. Archie Bunker. Oh my Bunker. God, he so does. That's hilarious. They're from the same neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peter Parker should talk like Archie Bunker, if you ask me, but nobody listens to me. No, they don't. There's um, like There are like so many things in this book that are just like, let's do this because it's cool, like uh, Man Wolf. Like just mm -hmm. like the, the idea that it's like, there's a werewolf on the moon. You know, it's just you like can, so he's just like a werewolf half the time. Well, there's pirates. You on can the tell that this book was conceptualized by an artist, and not just because the narrative doesn't make any sense, but because all of the the changes to the characters are basically made because they're visually awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Captain America is is wearing a, an American flag with a rope around his waist, and the Red Skull basically the new Skull looks like a, a, a little Hitler youth boy, and Black Bolt is fully armored, and Medusa looks like she has that uh, werewolf disease that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean visually, this book is very cool. The the look for, uh, like the uh, see through machine man Venom mm -hmm. M fifty one um or like every like sure. even Peter Colossus is like also like Ben. Yeah, oh, yeah, Colossus, Colossus is awesome, is awesome with his big Russian mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, it's all stuff that's chosen. But Luke Cage as a cop, yeah. still wearing his chain belt and mm -hmm. his uh, gauntlets. That's, that's amazing to me. Yeah. I like how the vision doesn't change at all in this. He's still oh, he the same vision that you see from. He's, got a, hood. Yeah. He's a robot. Yeah, I know. He's I think that's funny. Um, there are a lot, I think there are a lot of stories and I think there is a lot of themes that the writer is trying to bring forth, but he tries, it almost feels like this is my one shot to get out every idea that I've ever had. Yeah. And so I'm mm -hmm. going to cram it into these 12 plus issues. It's like 12 issues plus a zero plus 14. a 0.5. Um, and yeah, this I, is 14. Issues, I think, uh, the one that's collected that you get on, um, comiXology is zero through 12, uh, is the, what's collected. So 13 issues. Uh, and then there is a 0.5 somewhere out there if you want to, uh, to grab that, but the comiXology one zero through 12. The other thing that, and I don't know if this is in the individual standalone issues is 
there's so much to cover in the story that you can't cover it in just the comic book format. You have to have five or six pages of dialogue yeah. between X-51 and Uatu or Reed Richards and Wolfman and whatever that further yep. the story. It's 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 almost like when you read Watchmen for the first time, you were like, oh, well, screw this uh, diary of Owlman or let's not talk about the history of uh, Sally Jupiter or anything like that. When that was the stuff that was really helping tie everything together in mm-hmm. Earth X, you have to read both the comic and the text in order to fully understand what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah, that was in the that's in the original issues. Okay, I didn't know if that was just something that they added on yeah, it, in the collection to, to say we gotta the, explain this stuff. No, the narrative didn't make sense without it, and even in the original books. Yeah, and out. and and honestly, it's not necessarily. I, I would I would argue that, uh, especially given Earth X's genesis, it's not necessarily that it didn't fit into the comic. I think this was a deliberate choice, like. Like good comics nowadays include big text passages. It's like <laughs> Watchmen did it, like, Sandman did it. You know, yeah. Um, you like the art, though. Yeah, John Paul Leon is 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 really intriguing. He's really good as an artist, and the the thing about the interiors that I've been saying now for almost eighteen years are they're really really good and they could not have chosen an artist less like Alex Ross on the cover if they went uh-huh. out and tried. And that is the biggest failing of this book is that right. it's super weird that it is not an Alex Ross book or even someone trying to draw like Alex Ross. I mean, JP does great work, but it is Completely. like the diametric opposite of Alex Ross. And by that, I mean, he actually has a sense of color, but also it's, it's the characters don't even look like they're the same characters in some cases because his art style is literally nothing like the painted art style of the covers. So yeah, I love the interiors and I think it's, it's the perfect example of interiors not matching the covers and the editorial not caring that that's going to be an issue for me as well. That's, even if Alex Ross, even if that was Ross's only involvement, you know this has always been the case. Like Alex Ross gets paid to yep. draw cover or to paint covers, yep. and they do not look like the interior, like at all. Well, but yep. also Ross. the design, all the designs were based on Ross's uh, sketches. So you'll actually yeah. go through the book and you'll see, oh, this is based on this. This panel is based on the sketch that that Ross provided, and you see that in the back of the book, the black and white sections. Yeah, um, it's got some really uh, like well the best thing about the book might actually be the back matter. Yeah. Cuz the process yeah. work there is obviously done by two incredible artists and it is fascinating to see them redesign these characters that you know and love even if the way their incarnation winds up on the page is not with the same amount of reverence that you're looking at the visuals with. Mhm. Well, Ashley, what was your beyond the back matter? What was another favorite part of the book whether from the story or some particular issue or concept or whatever? Um that's I really didn't like too much of this book, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. There's going to um, be one I did bright like, shining spot. <laughs> I really like in the first issue when Captain America's done his whole fight and he's kind of having like a little mental breakdown after talking to the weird Starro Hydra mm-hmm. hybrid mm-hmm. thing. Um, and you get to see the Wasp for like three panels. Yeah. And Janet is wearing her 
uh, classic founding Avengers costume, which is a dumb costume, but it looks really great. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, 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 totally. Uh, with Stinger on the front, right? Because why not? Um, and, and I appreciated that she's trying to talk to him and he's ignoring her and she's very upset by that. Um, but for me, that was a really nice little subtle bit of storytelling because the Steve Rogers that you know um, would never do anything like that to Janet, mm-hmm. uh, to to a lady or to a founding member and fellow Avenger. And I think that there are little moments of brilliance like that where you get the sense that things are not the status quo before it's explained to you why things are like really the dark, gritty, as Matthew likes to say, armor your head version of the status quo. And I think that if little things like that had been employed more generously throughout this story, I think it might be looked back on more fondly now. Mm -hmm. For me, the the bright shining part was any time that Ben Grimm shows up because he's always happy. He's cheerful that people show up. Oh, well, look that it's Peter Parker. I can't believe this. You know, it's, oh, welcome here. And look at all these heroes coming to my house. We're going to have to set out extra plates for dinner. And, but there's also something in that where it's also sad that he's so happy about everything because even when the end of the world is about to happen, even when the skull or not the end of the world, but the skull is about to attack New York city. Ben is just like, Oh man, isn't there anything good on TV? He's not really interested in fighting the skull. Back. Right. He's yeah. He just wants to sit down with his kids and his wife and have a family evening. And that's both fun, but also kind of sad from the hero perspective of how he, you know, how he left after the death of, of, uh, uh uh, Johnny and uh, Sue Storm. Sue. Yeah. Um, was there anything exciting that you found, Matthew? My experience with Earth X, a narrative. Okay, here's the thing Earth X number zero came out in 1999 at a time when comics. We're not at their best. There were some comics out there in 1999 that I just wanted to kill with sticks. And the Zero issue starts with this really wonderful, subtle bit about Aaron Stack, the machine man. And you get five or six pages of him just being a normal guy. And then the the upshot of, I don't have my father's eyes. And he's mm-hmm. still got his big machine man eyes. Yeah. And then the monolith from 2001. And by the way, that is not a joke. No, that is. is literally the monolith from 2001. Well, he shows know. up and talks to him yeah. and then he ends up on the moon. And I'm like, this is a, this is an interesting premise. This is a great setup. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could be amazing. And then literally 900 plot lines start shooting out from all directions. And it, it reminds me of my car in college when somebody would say, do you smell antifreeze and smoke was coming from everywhere. And in a way it was kind of entertaining, but then <laughs> you realize Oh my God, I have no idea what this is. Or, and even the parts of it that you look at and you go, this is brilliant. There are some visual strokes in here that are just, they're ingenious. They're gorgeous. I can't understand why no one else had these thoughts. But for every one of those, there's four heavy duty ham fisted cliches. And for every four of those, there's 10 more plots that I really don't care about. And for every 10 of those, there's three more plots that tie into that. And everybody has a kingdom and everybody has an extended family. And by the time, you know, the people are coming from all around the world to reassemble the absorbing manner, I don't know, just long. You were supposed to talk about something that you liked. 
that was something that I liked. The zero issue, those oh, first okay. 10 pages of the zero issue are really, really wonderful. Yeah, I kind of like that. There are some visual ideas here that I think work. I, I agree with you that that those first pages are really capturing in that zero issue because here uh, X-51 Aaron Stack has to have a conversation with Uatu about what is going on with the world. I've been blinded for the last 20 years and haven't been able to see anything. You're going to be the new watcher now. And I'm like, whoa, this could be kind of interesting. And then it was like, oh, no, this is what they did in uh, – in Kingdom Come, where you had to get the, the guy to become the ghost and observe everything and, and walk through the pages. It's, and then it's like it starts out as like a metaphor. And then it's like, yeah. nope, it's yeah. actually <laughs> literal. He's going to walk around and look at everything and he's going to tell us what's happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rodrigo, was there any uh, bright shining spot that you liked? Uh, yeah, there were a couple of things. I think some of the fight scenes are cool. Um, I like that the Hulk wears a diaper. Yeah. I mean, like. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like uh, I I think with something like Batman, people fall very sharply on one side of the other of like, well, Batman is Batman and he just pretends to be Bruce Wayne and vice versa. Right. And the Hulk has similar camps, but they're kind of a little bit more. There's more of them. There's mm-hmm. like, well. The Hulk is Banner's rage. It's like, well, the Hulk is kind of a separate entity. Well, the Hulk and Banner are kind of this like yin and yang kind of thing. So it's like, it was interesting to see this take, this kind of like Banner has like regressed to the stage and the Hulk is a giant monkey wearing a diaper. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I was like, all right, book. I wasn't expecting that. I'm cool with that. Let's just uh, see where this goes and where it goes is to the actual underworld. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I, I mean, I like this book because um, when you take a step back from it, it's just nuts. It's just so crazy. Like so many crazy things are happening all the time. And it just takes itself so seriously throughout it that if you're in it, you're like, okay, yeah, all right. Now they're going to go to the afterlife and they're going to talk to this person. And meanwhile, up on the moon, this werewolf and this robot are having this conversation. And meanwhile, on Earth, there's like a bunch of like crappy X-Men hanging out with like, you know, a balding Cyclops. Yeah. yeah, with Daredevil. Yeah. And it's like, and again, it all sounds nuts once you use like Thor was turned into a girl against his will but i never heard that he if he has to wear that costume against his will you know like <laughs> it's just kind of it, it's just like nuts and and that's actually a big part of what i enjoy about it i know most of these characters sometimes the takes are very interesting sometimes they're really dumb sometimes they kind of make me mad but it's like all together, it's just like somebody just loaded the whole Marvel universe and shut it up into the air like a confetti gun. Well, and that's and just want to see where it lands. And that's part of the problem that I have with the back matter stuff, because it's almost like we have to talk about all these other characters because people are going to yeah. ask why they weren't in the book. So we're going to just say, oh, so what happened to this character? Well, this character did this, this and this and then did this. And then what about this? Uh, what about uh, the beast? Oh, well, the beast is doing this. And so there's like whole issues in in the in the back text that's just devoted to what is what has happened to your favorite hero or your favorite group yeah. of heroes in in this future universe which i would have just left it out because it's 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 things that i know people right. have questions about but it's not pertinent to this story that's being told so yeah the 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 reason it, it it's interesting because 
you know, Kingdom Come has all uh, the obvious comparison. Kingdom Come has this, all mm-hmm. of these things, and you get to catch these glimpses of the future world of the DC universe as you're following the storyline. Right. EarthX takes the entirely opposite approach. It is a checklist. EarthX mm-hmm. is a giant checklist. And they go through and say, what's happening with this guy? What's happening to this guy? And through that, you catch glimpses of what of this like ongoing plot line. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it is. It is no, like it's totally completely that. the opposite yeah. approach of Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? It is, it is this reaction to Kingdom Come and the success of Kingdom Come. Um, but it seems to be, while Kingdom Come was like, hey, this could happen if... We don't do something now. Uh, Earth X was, this is what's going to happen in the Marvel Universe until Marvel was like, you know what? This really doesn't belong in the 616, so it's going to be an alternate Earth current timeline kind of thing. But uh-huh. it, Earth seems, 9997. it seems to be the antithesis of Marvel's, which was a really good series uh, from, uh, from Alex Ross. Well, it was drawn by Alex Ross. The series was, was, uh, was uh, Kurt Busiek. Kurt, yeah, but I mean, it, it is, it's the, it's where Marvel's was this hope and wonderment and look how great the future is going to be. This one was the total opposite of that. For sure. Well, Marvel's had a clear narrative point and so did Kingdom Come. The point of Marvel's was basically, what if this were in the real world. Not if what if superheroes were real, but what would it be like to live in a world where mm-hmm. these superheroes existed? And the point of Kingdom Come is, you know, what happens if Superman stops being Superman? But the point of Earth X is, oh my God, you guys, all this stuff has totally happened, you guys. There's no real narrative here. And even the parts of it that are story are kind of not told as a story right. there because of the amount of time we we are spending with just mm. we weren't uh, there weren't a lot of tie-ins to this right this was a standalone series i mean there wasn't an an earth x spider-man right or earth x yeah there was was there yeah that ran yeah. concurrently with this yeah so, well i don't know if it was concurrently with this or concurrently with the later series but yeah no, i meant i meant Spider-Man. concurrently specifically with this because you know, there are times where you start to follow a thread and it's like you don't follow that thread again for like three more issues. And it's like, was there a spider series? Got a one shot. Uh, I know. Uh, in, I want to say in Venom Girl got a. Well, I don't know what you mean by in this series. Earth X, these these 12 issues, not Ple- Pleasure X or Paradise X or anything else. I believe so. OK, but I can't say for sure because it, it's all just a giant blur of food and sex and spectacle and just, you know. That's interesting then that those are not collected here. Um, well, they were terrible. Because it would hopefully make a little bit more sense in the story. It doesn't matter if it's terrible or not. It's will it help make this collection? <laughs> yeah, they, collect, they collect terrible things all the time. Yeah. The last thing this book needs is more story. I believe the things that I'm thinking of actually came out of Universe X, which spun directly out of issue 13 or issue X of this series, which may not be in the collection. I don't think it is. But is one of the books that I read. So, yeah. Um, what is your bottom line on this, Matthew? <sighs> I do not want to be mean. I do not want to be negative. I do not want to seem like... I'm internet guy crapping on something, but honestly, there's this don't. 
There's no reason to read this book, honestly. If you want to know what you need to know about Earth X, you really can get it from the covers or the the Wizard Magazine piece. And if you're going to read it, just go in knowing that this is a book that defines everything you know is wrong. It's literally, okay, here's a character. What do we know about that character? Okay, scratch that, reverse it, and now that's their status quo for 12 issues. There are, by my count, 215 characters in this book. That's not me being snotty or rude. That's actually the the possible count because you go through this and there's like 12 Avengers and a bunch of X-Men and there's Mr. Fantastic. But, of course, most of the Fantastic Four is dead, so that helps. But I would say avoid this because it's not really coherent unless you love, love, love John Paul Leone's art and you want to look at it day after day. Then, yeah, but I, I don't feel like this is really essential reading for anybody. Ashley, what, what about you? Uh, I actually, I disagree a little bit. I think that if you are someone who loves the Marvel Universe, loves Elseworld tales or dystopian tales, or really dug that everybody was sad after House of M, this <laughs> might be the perfect story for you. I do think that the uh, the window of people that I would recommend this to would be limited. Um, but I think if you're looking for a very uh, dour take on what is usually a fairly upbeat universe, um, this is a great story to pick up. If you really like your Celestials and your Inhumans and some of the more uh, out there concepts and you don't want to read a Doctor Strange, I think this is, there are worse places that you could go for those stories. And... If nothing else, it's going to look really good. It's mm-hmm. going to look good. Mm-hmm. I would say that here's the thing that I liked about this book is that there are some very big themes that are trying to be addressed in the book. And if you want to take your time and read through this book to see how those themes are explored and maybe what they mean in the Marvel Universe, I think that's what makes this book an interesting read. The downside is it's so convoluted and the whole thing that the earth is a giant egg works great in a Doctor Who book and a Doctor Who TV episode, yeah. Yeah, 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 but doesn't quite work in a Marvel universe in the way that they've set up the battle between the Celestials and Galactus, who Galactus is really this compassionate guy just trying to save the universe. And that doesn't really work. It doesn't work in this series. So this is a borrow it from me. Um, but um, there, there are some problems. But if you want to see dystopian uh, superheroes with Marvel, this is this is definitely a book to pick up. Rodrigo, you are the final thought this week. Uh, I would say if if what you're looking for is Kingdom Come for Marvel, this isn't it. Actually, weirdly, Marvel's is Kingdom Come for Marvel um, because. <laughs> Because it has, it, it like, is like DC is like going that dark and gritty route. And this is Marvel, the guys who were like realistic and, and, and street level going the bright and hopeful route with Marvels. Interestingly. Uh, but for me, reading Kingdom Come is like hanging out with a friend who has like really weird ideas about the Marvel universe and asking him, hey, Alex, what would you do with these characters? And it's like, <laughs> oh man, I got this idea. And it's like half the Fantastic Four die, but now. 
half of Namor is on fire. There's some parallel there. I haven't worked it out quite yet. Anyway, Hydra is now like a physical Hydra. And uh, there's also the Red Skull and he controls people. And I know Hydra controls people. I'll work that out later. And he kind of never does. Like the conversation just kind of continues <laughs> over coffee for about 13 hours. And then afterwards, you're like, man, that was awesome. I don't remember half of it, but I like what you did with Venom. Um, <laughs> so if you feel like you can just get caffeinated and power through that conversation, I would definitely recommend Earth X. But I would certainly not recommend uh, Universe or Paradise X. Oh, God. Oh, have you read those, Rodrigo? Because that's, that's, I've read parts of them. And that's kind of like that same friend. Uh, having that conversation with that friend right after he gets dumped and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not as much fun. Okay, cool. Well, all first right. of all, they, they expand the character base for Universe yeah. X. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. If you had some enjoyment out of this, if you found some worth in this episode, please go over to patreon.com slash major spoilers, sign up and support this show and everything that we do at Major Spoilers. It's only through your contributions that we're able to create more shows for you each and every week. Thanks for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We're going to be back next week. It's a Q&A episode, so if you have any questions or maybe you have some answers, I don't know, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com, and we will get to them next time because we know that you love comics. We do, too. We will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm going to rearrange your face. podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.